Bismillah, walhamdulillah, wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala al-hadithu tasi' an abi hurayrata abdirrahman ibn sakhrin radiyallahu anhu رضي الله تعالى عنه قال سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول ما نهيتكم عنه فاجتنبوه وما أمرتكم به فأتوا منه ما استطعتم فإنما أهلك من كان قبلكم كثرة سؤالهم واختلافهم على أنبيائهم رواه البخاري ومسلم so on the authority of Abu Huraira radiyallahu an Abdurrahman ibn Sakhr radiyallahu an he heard the messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying what I have forbidden for you avoid what I have ordered you to do do as much of it as you can for verily it was only the excessive questioning and the disagreeing with the prophets that destroyed the nations who came before you. This hadith is muttafaqun alayh. It is agreed upon. <coughs> so the first thing we need to mention here is that Imam Nawawi rahimahullah ta'ala under this hadith, he starts off the hadith and he says, An Abi Hurairata Abdir Rahman ibn Sakhar radiyallahu anhu. So we all know Abu Huraira as Abu Huraira. But that wasn't actually his name. Yes. Right? Or they say in English he's Agnoman. But, yes, he used to love cats. And they say that he would always have a cat or two with him. <laughs> Around him always. And so his name is actually Abdurrahman. Ibn Sakhar. Radiyallahu Right? May Allah be pleased with him. That is his name, Abdurrahman Ibn Sakhar. The same thing with Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. What's his name? Yes? Right? Abdullah is fine. But a lot of people think that his name is Abu Bakr. But his name is actually Abdullah. Even Kukhafa. Right? So this hadith that we're looking at tonight, it's found in Bukhari and Muslim. Now just a quick recap again is that this compilation of hadith of Imam Nawawi is a hadith that is brought from the primary sources. Which means that the 40 hadith of Imam Nawawi and for example his other book like Riyadh Salihin, those are what we know as secondary sources. Secondary sources of books of hadith. As for the primary sources of, with regards to books of hadith, then it's like Bukhari, Muslim, Tirmidhi, etc. And this is why when you quote a hadith, right, so you shouldn't say even, so for example, I want to send out a message with this hadith now. So now I type out the message and I put um, 40 hadith of Imam Nawawi. Technically or according to the muhaddithun, according to the scholars of hadith, they won't agree with that. They'll say that's incorrect. Because you must quote it from the primary source. So you must say that it's found in Bukhari and it's found in Muslim. Understood? That's just something by the way. So this hadith, right, we said it's found in Bukhari and Muslim. And the reason of this hadith, there's a reason why this hadith was 
or is mentioned and we're going to look at this. Abu Huraira he narrates that one day the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he gave a speech, he gave a khutbah and you went on hajj last year, correct? Last year. Right, so we, we covered this hadith as well. I remember doing this hadith, I think, yes, I did do this hadith, yeah. So, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, Ayyuhan nas, he says, O people, that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made hajj compulsory upon you. So, perform hajj. So, a person got up and he said, is this for every year? Every single year? Must I perform hajj? The Prophet ﷺ kept quiet. Until he repeated this question thrice. So he asked three times. Is this every year? Is this every year? Is this every year? The Prophet ﷺ, he said that had I said yes, then what would have happened? Hajj would have become wajib on you to go every year. And you wouldn't have been able to do that. Correct? Who would be able to go on hajj every year? Not a lot of people. So then he said, leave, right, leave me or leave that which I have left you with. Meaning, whatever I tell you to do, that's what you need to do. Because for indeed, the na- that people were destroyed before you for asking too many questions. And because they differed with the Ambiya, with the Prophets. But if I command you to do something, then do it to the best of your ability. And if I tell you to stay away it from something, then stay away from it. So this hadith that we use tonight, its basis is based on this hadith of Hajj. And here in this hadith, we find that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says that مَا نَهَيْتُكُمْ عَنْهُ فَاجْتَنِبُوهُ وَمَا أَمَرْتُكُمْ بِهِ فَأْتُوا مِنْهُ مَسْتَطَعْتُ So here the Prophet ﷺ is teaching us two very important principles. Right? Extremely important principles. That whatever I prohibit you from doing, whatever I tell you to stay away from doing, فَاجْتَنِبُوهُ Stay away from it. And whatever I command you to do, then do that. Right? You need to do it. But do it to the best of your ability. And we're going to come to this. So Sheikh Uthaymin rahimallahu ta'ala, he mentions a very beautiful faida. He mentions a very beautiful point here. He says that, see, Allah, uh, the Prophet says, whatever I tell you to stay away from, Fajdanibu, stay away from it. But when he commands you, he says, do it to the best of your ability. So he says that when he tells you to stay away from something, there's no option here. You, you can't say something haram. You can't say, oh, okay, my can it be Right? Um, just drink a little of the alcohol, it's fine. Oh, you know what I'm getting at. So this is what the Sheikh says, something beautiful. But when the Prophet says that when I command you to do something, then do it to the best of your ability. Because I might tell you, Aqim is Salah, as Allah says, and establish Salah, but maybe you have a problem with your leg. So you can't stand your whole Salah. So you're going to make Salah, you're going to stand to the 
best of your ability. Correct? And then you will be sitting. See the difference. When it comes to haram, you can't tell someone, okay, you know, stay away to the best of your ability. No, you must stay away. This is why Allah says also, for example, وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا zina And do not go near zina. Allah doesn't just say, oh, um, don't, don't do zina. He says, do not go near it. See the difference between the command and the prohibition. Alhamdulillah. And when we also look at prohibitions, then we see that and leaving off something that is prohibited, right? It remains on its general. Meaning, it will always be prohibited. Right? Again, not just مستطعتم, to the best of your ability. Something haram, it is haram. But the author, he does explain and he says, there is only an exception to this in a case of necessity. In a case of necessity. Yani you in dire need. And what example do the ulama always give? The ulama, they always give an example of mayta lihifdin nafs. Right? So what is mayta? Carrion. Something that was slaughtered, not in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or for example, you saw a, um, a dead buck on the road. You can't eat it, it's dead. Right? So that's maita. But now what happens? You maybe... Right? They always use this example that the person is in the desert. And he sees the animal. But the animal is dead. Right? And he lost his food. He doesn't have drink. So what can he do? Can he eat from this? In normal conditions, no. right? But now there is an exception to the rule. And what is the exception to the rule? That for a need for his desire, just to survive. If he doesn't eat, he's going to die. So he must, can eat. So now Sheikh Uthaymin, in his book, he brings another problem. So he says, and this was the beauty of Sheikh Uthaymin's teaching also, Rahimallah Ta'ala, he would like to, in, he would, Interact with the students a lot. Right? You interact with the students a lot. So you'd always pose questions to them. So, and you'd have a nice style. You would say, so if someone says this, what do we say? If someone says this, what do we say? So he says, now, if someone says, can, when you eat, do you just eat a little to survive? Or do you eat to your full? So he says that you eat a little to survive. Understood? That was the one point. The second point is, he says, the author mentions, Annahi, right? Annahi alladhi yajibu ijtinabuhu ma kana li tahrim wa ma kana li karaha yajuz fi'luhu wa tarkuhu awla min fi'lihi. So he says the prohibition that is wajib for you to stay away from is that which is haram. And as for that which is makru, if you do it, you won't get punished, but it is better to stay away from it. Understood? 
And then he says, that was the part of the Nahi Anu, right? The prohibition. Now as for the commands, you do the command to the best of your ability. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says in the Quran, La yukallifu Allahu nafsan illa us'aha. That Allah will not burden a soul into that which he cannot bear. Understood? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to command us with something that we cannot do. And this, we see this in every day's life. Right? For example, let's take what? Let's take the situation we're in now with COVID. We're supposed to be going to the masjid to make salah, correct? But now we need to adapt to the best of our ability. And what is the best of our ability? It was to make salah at home. Then we came to a point where we opened the masjid, but still not to its full capacity. Again, to the best of our ability, we will go to the masjid, we will cover our faces, we will stand apart, and inshallah, as things get better, we will get back to normal. So like that, and another example, which is a good example, is salah. The Prophet says, make salah standing. And if you cannot stand, you must make salah sitting. If you cannot sit, then make salah laying down, right? But you need to make salah, but to the best of your ability, and this is important. And with everything within Islam, right, all the commands of the Prophet send to the best of your ability. Someone, for example, they must fast in the month of Ramadan. They seek. Do they still fast? No. Someone, they fasted their whole life. They reached old age. They cannot fast anymore. What must they do? They must give their fidya, fitra, etc., whatever they pay. But the point is, this is the beauty of Islam. That there is commands, must but to the best of your ability. Then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, فَإِنَّمَا أَهْلَكَ مِنْ كَانَ قَبْلَكُمْ كَثْرَةُ سُؤَالِهِمْ وَاخْتِلَافُهُمْ عَلَىٰ أَنْبِيَائِهِمْ Here the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, the thing that destroyed the people before us, the nations before us, was a lot of questioning. Excessive questions. And he carries on. وَاخْتِلَافُهُمْ عَلَىٰ أَنْبِيَائِهِمْ And that they were destroyed because they disagreed and they differed with the Anbiya, with the Prophets. So, obviously now the type of question that we want to look at is what type of questioning is not permissible, right? That's obviously the thing we need to understand. So we're sitting in a class. You, Uncle Walid, asks me, um, Sheikh, is what? That's a question. <laughs> right? Anything of Islam, you ask me. Is this excessive questions? Right? So you're asking me, can, um, if the, right, I have, a, I have a 10 liter drum of water, for example, and the color changes, changes, and the smell changes. Is that water nudges now? Yes or no? Right? So these type of questions you ask. Is there anything wrong with this? No, this is fine. What is meant by excessive questions? Let us look at the Quran. 
When the Bani Israel, when Allah commands, when Nabi Musa says to them that they must do what? Slaughter a cow. So what do they do? Right? When Allah told us, Uncle Walid, Eid is coming now, He says that you guys, right, you as the Muslim Ummah, you're going to slaughter. You're either going to slaughter a sheep, you can slaughter a cow, you can slaughter a goat, you can slaughter a camel. Did we go ask now? Right? What color must the cow be? Must a cow have four legs? Right? Must it have a tail? Mustn't it have a tail? Must it have horns? Must it be black? Must it plow the earth? That is excessive question. See the difference? You're asking a question out of knowledge, Alhamdulillah, that is fine. But now you're asking a question because you want to be difficult or you're trying to make things hard. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in return is going to make things hard. Where were they going to fire a yellow cow? Do you ever get it? <laughs> right? You understand what I'm saying? But Allah it nearly reached a point where they had to go look for such a cow. And in the history of Islam you'd also find to a certain extent you find certain groupings they had this. Why must it be like this? Why can't it be like that? Why must it be like this? It doesn't agree with my rationale. All these things took place. And this is why also um, in Ibn Rajab, right, in the explanation of the 40 Ahadith Ajami Al-Ulum Wal-Hikam, he mentions and he says that you get two types of people with regards to this discussion of questioning or this discussion that we speaking about. And he says the first group of people is those that follow the hadith. They are known as Ahlu Hadith. They basically put a stop on asking a lot of questions and they just obeyed Allah and the Messenger and they accepted things as it was. The second group is Ahlu Ra'i. This is a group of Ra'i, of rational thinking, etc. So they would formulate questions. They would let questions be born before it's happening. You know those type of questions? The what ifs, man. The what if type of question. So, okay, so for example, right, you find this a lot in thick books. Like that also, for example. But also, like, I'm trying to look for more common examples. So, for example, someone will say, yeah, um, maybe now you heard that um, you can make salah, for example. Was shoes. Now someone will ask, yeah, but now, what type of shoe is it? And what if my shoe, for example, have a hole in it? Or what if, what if? The masala was clear, you can make salah with shoes. But now you're asking, what if? So for example, even like in the certain thick books in that they would discuss, can you make salah on top of the Kaaba? Then someone will come, but now what if you're in the sky? Can you make salah in the sky? That time there wasn't planes. So, to understand the point, 
The point is that this was the type of asking the what ifs. And this you find a lot. It's got anything against the mother, but you find this a lot in the Hanafi mother as well. Where they have a lot of these what if type of masayo. And then um, right, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he ends off and he says that and they disagreeing with the prophets. So we find in the past, look at the Bani Israel, they disagreed with Nabi Musa a lot. We find Nasara as well, they disagreed with Nabi Isa a lot. And even in our times, find that people, certain groupings, they disagree with the Prophet ﷺ's teaching. Yes, they claim to love him. But they disagree with the teachings. For example, the Prophet says, Do not commit zina. Afwan, do not involve yourself in bid'ah. But you find people making bid'ah. So like that they are disagreeing with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And let's look at some of the benefits of this hadith. This is important. The first benefit we can take out is that it is compulsory for us, it is wajib for us to stay away from each and everything that Allah and His Messenger has made haram for us. And it is wajib for us to follow everything which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Messenger has made, wajib for us to do. And we should protect ourselves and stay away from happenings which happened with regards to the Ahlul Kitab and that was the cause that they were destroyed. So we should learn and understand what destroyed the people of the book and we shouldn't fall into those traps as well. And then his last point, he says that we must look at the Masail and we shouldn't overburden ourselves with it. We shouldn't try, right? And I think a nice way of putting it is in, I think there's an Afrikaans saying, um, sounds better in Afrikaans, right? Don't scratch where it doesn't itch. And this is what happens. People, they tend to scratch where it don't itch and then the deen becomes harder. Accept the deen for what it is. Naam, that is very good. Right? Now we're going to move on to Al-Hadith Al-Ashir, the 10th Hadith. An Abi Urayrata radiyallahu ta'ala anhu Kala kala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Inna Allah ta'ala tayyibun La yaqbalu illa tayyiban Wa inna Allah amara al-mu'minina Bima amara biyil mursaleen Fakala Ya ayyuh Ya ayyuh ar-rusulu Kulu min tayyibati Wa'amalu saliha Suratul Mu'minun Waqala ta'ala Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu Kulu min tayyibati ma Razaqunakum Suratul Baqra Thumma dhakar al-rajulu Yatilu al-safar Ash'adha ahbar Yamuddu yadayhi ila al-samai Ya Rabbi ya Rabbi Wa mat'amuhu haramun Wa mashrabuhu haramun Wa malbasuhu haramun Wa huddhiya bil haram فَأَنَّا يُسْتَجَابُ لَهُ رَوَاهُ مُسْلِمُ 
Again, this hadith is narrated by Abu Huraira radiyallahu an. And the, he said that the messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says that Allah the Almighty is good and he accepts that which is good. And indeed, Allah has commanded the believers to do that which he has commanded the messengers. So the Almighty has said, Right, meaning Allah says, Oh you who believe, I mean, oh you messengers, eat of the tayyibat, all kinds of halal, legal foods, and perform righteous deeds. And the Almighty has said, Oh you who believe, eat of the lawful things, that which we have provided you with. And then he mentioned the case of a man, having gone on a far journey. His hair was disheveled and dusty. Untidy. And who spreads out his hands to the sky. Saying, Ya Rabbi, Ya Rabbi. Wants to make dua. While his food is haram. His drink is haram. His clothing is haram. And he has been nourished with haram. So how can his supplication be answered? Rawah Muslim. So here the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he informs us and he says that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is tayyib, he is pure, he is good. لا يقبل إلا طيبا And he does not accept anything that is pure and good. So this shows us that one of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-tayyib. And that Allah only accepts that which is good. And we can't give something which is not good to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why Allah has made certain things not permissible. So for example in business, riba. Right? That's what Allah says. وَأَحَلَّ اللَّهُ بَيْعَ وَحَرَّمَ riba. That I've made bay, I've made transaction for you halal. And we've made riba for you haram. So because transactions by that is good, that is tayyib. But riba is what? It is khabith. It is filthy. And this is why Allah won't accept it. Wa inna Allah and the Prophet says, Wa inna Allah amara mu'minina bima amara bihil mursaleen. Faqala, ya ayyuhar rusul, kulu min tayyibati wa'amalu saliha. That, O oh, messengers, Eat of that which is pure and do good. And then Allah says, Ya ladina amanu, O you who believe, Kulu min tayyibati ma razaqonakum. Eat from that which is pure, of that which we sustained you with. So these two verses, Allah commands the mursaleen, the anbiya. Allah commands them. And those who comes after them and follows them, meaning us. That we must eat of that which is pure. Like how the Ambiya, how they ate. That which is pure and they never indulge in that which is not pure. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that we should follow the Ambiya in the way that they ate. Now here we get two types of things. We get something which is halal, 
So, right, we get something which is halal. Example. Right, this mustn't go out. <laughs> but like, take, um, right, certain fast food places, right, these commercial fast food places, won't mention names, but you obviously will get the picture what I'm speaking about, but the, the food is plastic. It's halal, yes. Right? We eat it sometimes you're on the long road, you don't have an option, you need to eat it. But is it taib? Is it pure for you? The answer is no. Right? So you have this whole discussion of what is halal, what is taib, etc. So this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us. And subhanallah, we all to blame for this, correct? Right? We all have this thing where we, you know, we just feel for something that, as we say, like liquor. Right? And we forget the we forget that which is pure. So we should try to and I mean subhanallah like a few months ago we were spoke about the milk and stuff like that we used to get from the farm. I mean you could see the difference. Right? That is something that was time. Even sometimes we see now when we Kurbani time when we slaughter our own sheep. Right? Sometimes you compare that meat, you can see the meat that was um, free range and the chickens that is free range and etc. So this is what is meant. And we all fall into this trap. Right? No matter how good we are, but should always try and eat more healthy than we can. And then he mentions Thumma Dakara Raju. Then he mentions a person. Yutilu suffer that he had a long journey. And he had Ash'ada Aghbar Yamuddu Yadayi ila Sama Ya Rabbi Ya Rabbi And his hair was disheveled And he put his hands towards the sky He was making dua And he said, Oh my Lord, Oh my Lord But his food was haram And his drinks was haram His clothing was haram And do you honestly think that this dua will be accepted? The Prophet is asking so here the Prophet ﷺ explains to us that Allah does not accept that which is pure. And he says that the Prophets, they commanded us, or they were commanded and we were commanded as well to eat that which is pure. And he then explains and he says that in this hadith you have four things. And these four things, right, will come when we do the um, benefits of the hadith. But basically, it has touched on it now, that these four things, it has to do with dua. Going on a long journey, the dua of someone that's on a journey is accepted, right? Standing, for example, lifting up your hands to the sama, making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's also mustajab. Coming and standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Dusty clothes. He is the shovel. Right? What does all this remind you of? What does this remind you of? No? Yes. Arafah. How do you look on Arafah? Huh? He is the Makkah. Right? Dusty. Dusty. That white haram is no more white. <laughs> right? 
Right? And you just there with it's just you and your Rabb. It's just you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lifting up your hands. Right? So this is what and you travel far journey from Cape Town all the way to Mecca to Arafah hardships in it. So this is where Tu'ah is readily accepted. But now the Prophet says but the clothing is haram. The food that he ate is haram. The drinks that he drank was haram. How he earned that all that stuff is haram. Do you honestly think that Allah Azza wa Jal is going to accept his dua when everything is haram? And see the link how the Prophet he first speaks about how pure Allah is and then he speaks about our duas. Right? This is amazing. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That is amazing of the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam what he says. And if we look at some of the benefits of this hadith. Number one, this hadith says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is tayyib. That Allah is pure. And this means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is free of all defects. Rabbul izzati wal jalal. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot have any defects. Number two. That a Muslim should always make sure that he is involved in good things. Things that are tayyib. And his actions must be pure as well. And things that he gains must be pure as well. Point number three. That your sadaqah is not accepted except from money that is halal. I won the lottery, right? Won the jackpot at Grand West. Oh, Masjid Gambo. Right? With poor people in now we give sadaqah. It doesn't make sense. Right? Allah accepts that which is pure. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says in another hadith, that Allah, I mean, that Allah does not accept the salah except that it is with wudu. To wood, you must be pure. And he does not accept sadaqah min ghulul. And he will not accept a sadaqah taken from the war booty before it is distributed. Because that is also not pure. Then Allah, right, the next point, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has shown us that He has praised and He has given fadl to the slaves that He created by showing them His mercy and His love. And then He commands us also to eat that which is pure and good. The next point, that the eating of haram is a reason that dua is not accepted. And a reason that duas is accepted or one of the reasons that duas is accepted or one of the ways that duas is accepted is that one can go on a journey. The dua of a traveler. We know this ahadith that says that the dua of a traveler is never rejected. And 
The dua is also easily accepted if one lifts up one's hands to the summer. Du'as are also accepted if one faces Qibla. Easily accepted. Du'as are easily accepted if one is in the state of wudu. So these are all means that makes the du'a accepted easily. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another point that we learn from this hadith that for our du'as also to be accepted is that أَنَّ bi asma'i. That when we make dua, we make tawassul through the names and the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Rabbul Izzati wal Jalal. And another point, the last point the Sheikh brings, he says that when also when you make dua in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, make as if you are in real need, that you are a needy person. Right? Subhanallah, there's no example. Right? Unto Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We know that. But have you ever seen like how sometimes you pull up by the traffic lights and there's someone that's begging? How do some of them come to your car? Right? They, they could go on their knees, they go on their knees and you know, the way they beg. Now this is how we should be making dua as well. You and Arafah, you know how it is. You cry your heart out. You beg from Allah. Why beg from other people when you can beg directly to Allah The one who created everyone else. Right? Everyone is going through difficulties. At the time that we find ourselves in, people are going through difficulties. People have lost jobs. People have lost loved ones. Turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَمَن يَتَّقِ اللَّهَ يَجْعَلْ لَهُ مَخْرَجًا وَيَرْزُقُ مِنْ حَيْثُ لَا يَحْتَسِبُ That whosoever puts his trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah will definitely open a way for him. And he will sustain us, all of us, in ways that we never expected. How is it that the bird, the Prophet uses the example of the bird. The bird leaves the nest empty-bellied and he comes back. This must be our tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The next hadith, right, al-hadith, al-hadithu hadiyya ashar. Hadith number 11. An Muhammad al-Hassan ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib. Right, an Abi Muhammad al-Hassan ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib. Sibti Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وريحانته قال حفظت من رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم دع ما يريب دع ما إلى ما لا يريب رواه ترمذي والنسائي وقال ترمذي حديث حسن صحيح is narrated by the grandson of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Abu Muhammad al-Hassan ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib right Hassan the son of Ali and Fatima Hassan had a brother who was his brother Hussein 
grandsons of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He said that I memorized from the Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa taala. Leave that which makes you doubt for that which does not make you doubt. Right? This hadith is found where? In Tirmidhi and a few other places. So this hadith, it shows us and it commands us to leave off something that a person has doubt in. Something that does not make or give us conviction in our hearts. And it makes us uneasy. Right? I'm sure we've all been through that. Right? Something that doesn't seem right, man. I have doubt. Right? Let's look, look at a famous example. You may be on the long road. There's no halal places. You go into a place. Right? This is like a dodge place. And you're hungry now, so now what must you eat? Now, okay, maybe they have a, something like in a clothes pack, but now you want to eat. But now you're doubting, man. Are they really going to wash the pan properly? Are they not going to wash the pan properly? What are they going to do? And you have so much doubt. Unless now, obviously, you can see the man is washing it in front of you. Alhamdulillah, that's fine. Right? That's not doubt. But if you have doubt, then what would you do? Leave it. Because that's what the hadith is saying. That leave that which you doubt for that which you do not have doubt in. This is what this hadith is telling us. And this hadith also, right, it's quite similar to the hadith that we did before, which says, shubuhat, And whosoever he has shubuhat, he has some doubtfulness in him. Then he should, and he's worried about his deen, and he's worried about his honor, and that, then he should leave away the Shubuhat. Don't get involved in the Shubuhat stuff. Because when you're involved in Shubuhat things, if you're involved in doubtful things, it lands up most of the time in what? In? Right? Okay, before shirk, what do we get? Haram. Right? So if you're going to dwell in something that's doubtful all the time, it's going to end up in what? Haram. Remember the hadith we did? The long hadith that ended about... Um, Allah, that indeed in the body there's a piece of flesh. Right? And spoke about the heart. Now just before that part, the gave the example of someone that has a... Right, what do you call this? A shepherd or the herdsman. And right, if you drive on the N2 or the N1, there's a lot of sheep farms and that. And then maybe there's one farm here and then immediately there's another farm. But now he obviously as the herdsman, he knows... Where the next farm starts, sometimes there's no fence. But if the sheep's always going to be on the edge, what's going to happen? Sooner or later, he's going to start grazing where? Right? On the neighbor's farm. So like that, if without deen, if we're going to always go into doubtful matters, go into doubtful matters, where are we going to end up? Going to end up haram. And this is one of the reasons why the ulama also, they were so strict about what? About anything... Right? Something which is known as Saddu Darari. Anything that could lead to shirk. Why? 
Because if you're going to involve yourself in something that could lead to shit, lead to shit, lead to shit, what's going to happen after a few years? You're going to end up where? You're going to end up in shirk. And the perfect example is in Surah, Surah Nuh. Right? Surah Nuh. وَقَالُوا لَا تَذَرُنَّ آلِيَةً وَلَا تَذَرُنَّ وَدَّ وَلَا سُوَاعُ وَلَا يَغُوثَ وَيَعُوكَ وَنَصْرَ وَقَدْ أَضَلُّوا كَثِيرًا وَلَا إِلَّا ضَلَالًا Right? Perfect example. These were five pious men. They did nothing wrong. Good people. When they died, what did Shaitan do? He came. He said, you know, the holy people... Right? Go to the graves every year. They went every year. Right? And every time you come to a new generation, he adds on more, adds on more until what happened? Till they made statues of the people and they worshipped him. <coughs> Nothing wrong with him. They were good people. But what they did in their name, the same thing. Take Abdul Qadir Jilani. Rahimallahu ta'ala. Rahmatan wasi'ah. But what do people do in his name? That's the problem. So this is what the Prophet ﷺ is telling us to stay away. Yes? No, I'm talking about Jilani. Yes. He was a humble scholar, yes? Right, so there's two points here again. Ghazali was a Shafi'i. Yes? Right, so two points that we can take from this hadith. Tarkuma yakunu fihi ribatun. Wal akhdu bimala ribatan fi. Leave that which you have doubt in for that which you do not have doubt. And leave of things again, the second point. Do things that bring contentment to your heart and do not. Do things that will cause you, your heart, not to be content. Oh, let's see. Okay, so I think inshallah we'll stop here for tonight. Three hadith and then next week inshallah we will carry on bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.